Man, I hope you guys feel like you've been to church this morning already. Uh, do people still say that? Do you feel like you've been to church? You know, do people even still ask that question? I don't know. I just asked it. Do you feel like you've been to church? <laughs> All right. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts. That's where we'll be this morning, the book of Acts chapter 26. And uh, this morning, we're going to conclude our series through the book of Acts. We've been in this roughly... Uh, 23 weeks this year, somewhere around in there, 20, 25, 23, somewhere around in there. <clears throat> uh, next week, we're going to get really into uh, this new series called Moses, Moses, a leader with soul. Um, we'll jump into that next week. We're going to dive back into the book of Exodus, and we're going to spend about seven weeks um, kind of looking at the life of Moses. Moses was this leader. Uh, he was a leader of the Israelite people. We see his story all throughout the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, he is believed to have written about five books of the Old Testament. We're going to dive into his life starting next week. And today we're going to finish out our series in Acts. And I hope that you've really enjoyed this book. And that's where we're going to be this morning in Acts chapter 26. And uh, man, I, as I read this chapter, I think, and I'm reminded vividly of a time in my life, uh, it was about the age of nine years old, and I just remember that my parents had talked to me about Jesus a lot. Uh, I was, uh, had been in church my entire life, and as a matter of fact, I, uh, my birthday is December 22nd, so just a few days from Christmas, and I'm pretty sure that I was in church about, you know, six, seven eight days old, whatever it is, right there for Christmas. And I remember that I just, I learned a lot about Jesus. I had asked Jesus into my heart a couple times at like preschool, but didn't have any idea what that meant. But finally, at the age of nine years old, I remember I had a couple friends that had gone down a few weeks before, and I said, I think I'm ready to get baptized. And I walked down, talked to the pastor. A few weeks later, I was baptized. Still, again, didn't really understand or understood what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. Did, just knew that, that there was this, this man named Jesus and knew that I was a bad kid and knew that I needed somebody to save me from my sins, and so that's what I did. And it wasn't until about 10 years later, whenever I was 19 years old, 19 years old, I was a sophomore in college, and I was dating my now wife at the time. And I just remember, I had kind of drifted away from the Lord, wasn't really following Him that much. Um, I, I, believe it or not, I, I would still go to church and stuff like that, but just kind of wrestling with some, thi- with some things in college. And I remember, like it was yesterday, sitting in the university library um, with my Bible open, and it was just me and God, and I was almost in tears Because I was understanding, probably for the very first time in my life, what the word grace actually meant. And understanding that the gospel means good news. Understanding that whenever it comes to my relationship with Jesus Christ, it's not about who I am. It's not about what I've done. It's not about the things that I even will do in the future. But it's all about what Jesus did for me on the cross so long ago, and I remember, I remember where I was sitting in that library. I could show you today where I was sitting, and I just knew that God was calling me in that moment. In an instant, He was calling me, one, 
into a deeper relationship with him, saying, it's all or nothing. Either I'm the king of your life or I'm not. And I also remember that at that very same moment, I remember the Lord, Jesus Christ, saying, I want you to do this for the rest of your life. I want you to be in ministry. I want you to be a pastor. And I really had no idea what that meant. Didn't know where, didn't know when. All I knew was that whenever the time came, my yes was on the table. Yes, I will do this. Do you have a story like this? Is there a moment in your life where you can point to and say, that's when I knew that God was calling me into a deeper relationship. That's when I knew that God was saying to me that I, I, I'm going to be your Savior, that you need a Savior, that you're in sin, that you need a Savior. Do you have a specific moment in your life maybe where God said, I want you to go and do X, Y, and Z. I want you to do this for me. Let me ask you something. If you've got that moment, if you can remember that time exactly where you were, maybe it wasn't a library, maybe, maybe you don't have a moment, maybe it was just, you know, time progressed and, you know, you felt like God was always there for you and you just kind of merged and, and met with Him. But if you do have that moment, if you know when Christ called you or when Jesus saved you, let me ask you, have you ever followed up with those dreams that He gave you? That passion that you had there in that moment, do you still have it today? Do you still have that passion today? Have you ever followed up with those dreams of whatever God called you to? Maybe it was something big like going on a mission trip, going overseas. Maybe it was something like reaching out to a friend or a neighbor. Maybe it was something like starting a Bible study. Maybe it was something like reading from the Bible, maybe for the very first time, or praying for the very first time. Maybe it was something like praying out loud in front of other people, or praying out loud in front of a big group, or maybe it was something as being, uh, be, becoming a Christian for the very first time in your life. Do you have that moment? Can you find it? Did you ever follow through with it? This morning, as we read the book of Acts, Paul is going to give, basically he's going to give his testimony, he's going to share the story of how he became a believer in Jesus, but not only how he became a believer in Jesus, but the moment where he knew that God was calling him into ministry, saying to him, I want your life, I want the rest of your days, I want it, I want you to go about now being a missionary for my glory, and, and what is going to happen here, what we're going to see is that Paul is on trial. We've seen over the last several weeks that Paul is basically, he's fighting for his life. He shares the gospel in just about every city or town that he enters into, every nation that he enters into. He's planting churches all across Asia. He's planting churches all across places like Jerusalem. And all the while, while he's doing this, there are people that are actively trying to kill him that want his life, that want him dead. Now, we know that ultimately this is our greater enemy. This is our enemy trying to stamp out a movement here. But you have the Jewish people that have been following Paul for all of his ministry, basically. And we've even seen in places like Ephesus a couple weeks ago where there's this big riot, there's this big crowd trying to follow Paul. They want him dead. 
and they, they actually get him. Um, and there comes a point in time where they, they kind of seize Paul, and he's on trial here, but he's not on trial for doing something like you or I would do, like we commit a crime, you know, like shoplifting, you know, haven't you been there, you don't raise your hand, you know, or, or committing some type of crime. It's not like that. He's basically put on trial because he's going around sharing Jesus with people, and the Jews, they hate that. They, they bring up lies about Paul, saying that he's breaking all of our customs, that he's entering into the temple, and he's basically making a, a mockery of God. He's making a mockery of who we are as the Jewish people. And Paul's saying, no, I haven't done any of those things. He says, I'm just bringing the message of Jesus. And what we see is that Paul is eventually going to be on trial here in, in, in places like Jerusalem, and then he goes before even with the Caesar here uh, of Rome, and he's kind of move from place to place as a Roman citizen. He had to go and be on trial there in Rome before Caesar. And he, he, gonna, as he's passing from one place to the other, he's shipwrecked, he's bit by a snake. All sorts of crazy things are happening. And that's where we're going to pick up in Acts 26. So if you're there, say, I'm there. This is the first trial. He's there in Jerusalem. And he's actually about to give his story of what's about to ha- or of what have, has happened in his life before he's put on a ship and moved over there to Rome. He says, My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. He's saying to this, you you know. He says, They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. Basically what Paul is saying here is that there is a group that are super religious, that they practice all the laws, they do all the right things, they say all the right things, they practice all the right holidays. Guess what? I was a part of that group. I did everything right. I was a very, very good person. I did everything right. Verse 6, And now I stand here on trial because of my hope, in the promises made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? You see, that's one of the disputes. The Jews, they didn't believe that Christ was alive. They did not believe that he was the anointed one. And so what Paul has done here is he has abandoned all of his old buddies. He's abandoned all of his old way of life. He's abandoned what his fathers worshipped, the way that his grandfathers worshipped, and so on and so forth. He's abandoned that. He's saying, I no longer believe that this is how we're called to live. I believe that it's no longer about works, but I believe that it's about faith in the one who is alive. His name is Jesus. And he's saying to them, why is it so hard for you to believe this? Why is it so hard for you to believe that Jesus is alive, that he is who he says he is? And he says, oh, by the way, this Jesus who is alive, it's the one that your grandfathers used to worship. It's the one that my grandfathers used to worship. They used to look forward to him coming. Guess what? He's here. He died. He is alive. It is Jesus. And so that's what he's saying to them. Verse 9. He says, I myself, I was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I used to be on your side, and, and I did so in Jerusalem. 
I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. He's saying, I used to kill Christians. He says, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and and enraging fury against them. I persecuted them even to foreign cities. He says, I used to even go out of my way so that I could persecute Christians. And he's not talking about getting on the, the subway or the bus. He had to walk. He was that passionate about it. He would walk for miles and miles in order to kill Christians. Verse 12. He says, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. He says that I was on this road. I was getting ready. I was going to go and take more Christians. I was going to go and kill more Christians or throw them in jail. And as I was on this road to this place called Damascus, this bright light shone around me. And this bright light was so bright that it sent me to my knees. A few years ago, whenever I read this, I thought he just probably had a kidney stone or something like that. If you've ever had one, you'll know why I think that. Verse 14, and when we heard, and and when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting against me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. When's the last time you used that in a sentence? And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But arise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people, meaning the Jews, and from the Gentiles, meaning those who aren't Jews, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Let's pray. Father, as we come this morning, our hearts are overflowing this morning with appreciation and acknowledgement for the grace of God. What a beautiful picture it is. Lord, this morning, before we even woke up, there were men, women, and children around the world, Lord, in hiding, some under a light bulb, some in hoodies at the dark of night, all gathering together with other men, women, and children to worship the name of Jesus Christ. And here this morning, we get to be a part of it. We get to do the same very things that they're doing, worshiping the same very person that they're worshiping. And we worship not a dead Savior, but a risen Savior who is Jesus Christ the Lord. God, and if we can't get excited about that, then we can't get excited about anything. This is precious. And this man that was on trial, God, thousands of years ago, As he was on trial, Lord, you can just tell that the name Jesus Christ 
meant so much to him that he was willing to give up every last breath for it. What a beautiful picture. We thank you for the work that you did through Paul. We're thankful for the work that you did in Paul. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. So basically, Paul is just sharing his testimony, right? We say it all the time that every person who follows Jesus has a testimony. And Paul is basically, he's just sitting in court. And he's just, that's all he's doing. He's sharing his testimony and telling people exactly what happened, how Jesus came into his life. And as he hears the words of Jesus, he, he kind of experiences this bright light, sends him to his knees. It's not a kidney stone. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus of Nazareth whom you are persecuting. And he asks him this question, or he says this statement. He says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Well, I don't really know what that means. Hard to kick against the goads. Well, basically, a goad was this type of rod that they would use against the oxen, or they would use this this goad up against animals that they would try and push. It was almost like what we would know today as like a cattle prod. They would try and get those cattle into motion. And so what they would do is they would take this thing called a goad, which is just almost like a spear, just give them a little bit of a, 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 a little bit of a nudge, right? Just give them a little bit of a nudge. Wives, you should be familiar with this. You have to do this to your husband often. And they would just give them a little bit of nudge to get them going, get them moving. Um, and so that was what they would do. And, and so whenever they would kick against the goads, basically whenever these oxen, these dumb animals, whenever they would kick against the goads, really what they were doing is they were just driving that spear, that, that, that tip of the spear, basically into their flesh a little bit more. Animals are dumb. Animals don't really think that brightly. And so what they would normally do is they would kick against that goat and they would send the tip of the spear into their flesh even deeper. So what Jesus is saying to Paul, to Saul, same person, He's saying that you're fighting against my will and you're just making life more miserable for yourself. He said that you're fighting against me and you're just making life harder, making yourself more miserable. He's saying basically, you're not that bright, Paul. You're not really that bright and I'm trying to get your attention and I'm trying to show you that I want your life. I think we've all been there at a point in time in our lives, right? And if maybe you haven't been there, and you maybe have a friend or family member who's their life, it just seems like everything always seems to be falling apart. It always seems like life is in chaos. It always seems like they're just, you know, just overwhelmed. Just seems like they, they really don't have it figured out, don't have any answers, don't have any hope, don't have any peace. All the while pushing against the will of God, pushing against their creator, pushing against making Jesus king, and all the while looking at themselves saying, why is life this hard? Why is life not going well for me right now? Why is not anything going well? Why does it not seem to be working out? Because you're kicking against the goats. Because you're pushing against the will of God. Because you're fighting your creator. You're fighting the man who's in charge of everything. And so that's what he says. He says, Paul, he says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. 
But one thing to point out here is that as Paul is on this trail, as he's on the road to Damascus, Paul's not seeking God, right? He's not seeking Jesus. He wasn't on this quest to find God. He had done absolutely nothing to earn or deserve. He had done no real good work. You could even argue that he had done terrible things. He had done some really terrible things to the people that God loved. People like Stephen that we saw earlier on where he was stoned and Saul was right there and approved all the works that were done to him. You see, Paul, on this road to Damascus, he's met with a very, very different idea and it's called grace. It's called grace. Grace is whenever you get something that you don't deserve. That's what grace is. It's whenever you get something that you don't deserve. As Paul is on this road, or or Saul, as he's on this road to Damascus, as he's getting ready to try and kill more Christians, out of nowhere the grace of God hits him right in the face, and he gives them something that he does not deserve. He gives them a relationship with Jesus. You see, there's nothing that we can do to earn our relationship with Jesus. You could even argue that we've done things that should count against us earning or having a relationship with Jesus. Not any of us were really on this path to try and find God. As a matter of fact, we were rebelling against Him and rebelling against His ways. And we might think, you know, sure, we, we might ask questions, okay, and, and who is God, who is Jesus, is this thing real? But we're just kind of barely entering a trail where Jesus has been going on for, for so long, trying to get our attention, trying to work in our lives, and in, and in ways to, to make us realize that we're in deep need of Him. And so Paul, as he's on this road, he has no idea about who Jesus is. He's been fighting against Christ, has no idea. Grace hits him right in in the face. And he says, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus of Nazareth. He says, but arise and stand stand upon your feet. He says, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. He says, to appoint you as a servant and as a witness. And so he gives grace to Paul, he changes Paul's life, and he says, now that I've changed your life, I'm sending you back out to be my messenger to the the Jews and to the Gentiles. But did you notice what he says to Paul? What he says about the message of Paul? Verse 17. He says, I've I've sent you basically and I've appeared to you for this reason. I'm going to deliver you from your people, the Jews. I'm going to deliver you from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. Listen to what he says, verse 18. He says, to open their eyes. As Paul sent out as a messenger of the gospel. I hope you don't miss this and that you understand it. That one of the things that God sent Paul out to do was to open the eyes of those who don't see. To open the eyes of those who don't see. He says that I'm sending you out to open the eyes of those who don't see. So that they may turn from darkness to light. He's saying that those who live apart from me. Who don't have a relationship with me. Guess what? They're living in darkness. They're living in darkness. 
He says, you used to live in darkness, but now what? What's shown from heaven? A light. He says, I want you now to go and be my messenger to the Jews and to the Gentiles to take them, to help them see, basically to see the light of the good news of Jesus. He says, open their eyes to see so that they may turn from darkness to light so that they may also be delivered from the power of Satan. Delivered from the power of Satan. Listen, let me ask you this. Do you see your friends, family, and maybe even yourself this morning? Do you see those folks as people who have their eyes closed, living in darkness, under the power of Satan? Whenever you drive out of your neighborhood and you leave out of your neighborhood and you drive past those homes, do you see those homes as the representatives and the people that live there as people who are under the power of Satan? That's not how we often like to see them. That's how the Bible describes them. That those who don't have a relationship with Jesus, and maybe that's even you this morning, that those who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ have their eyes closed, looking into darkness that are under the power of Satan. Truly, where we used to be, that's where we were. We didn't see, we didn't understand, we had no way of knowing until Jesus called us, gave us grace. He says to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, to move them from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's what he says about you and me, that we are no longer under the power of Satan, that we have received forgiveness. That we have received forgiveness. And this morning, the bottom line, if you don't take anything else away from this, is that it's God's grace that saves us By grace alone, through faith, it's God's grace that saves us, and it's God's grace that empowers us to the ministry. And it's God's grace that saves us, just like we saw Paul do here. That he was doing nothing good, that he was on no good work, that in the blink of an eye, God saved him because of God's grace. And in the very instant, He makes him an ambassador for this same very grace. And he says, I'm going to send you back out for the ministry to do the work for the Jews and the Gentiles. And he says that I am sending you. I am giving you the power to go and do this. That I'm going to deliver you whenever the time comes. That I'm going to deliver you from the Jews whenever they grasp you. I'm going to deliver you in the moments and times whenever you're stoned. I'm going to deliver you in the moments and times whenever you're shipwrecked and abandoned. I'm going to deliver you in the moments and times when you get snake bit. I'm going to deliver you whenever your enemy seeks to devour you. I'm going to deliver you. Because this is the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through you. You see, it's God's grace that saves us, but it's also God's grace that empowers us and gives us the ability to be in ministry. Now, let me ask you this. 
going back to my original question, do you still have that same passion? Do you still have that same energy, that same desire, that same calling, that same white-hot burning call within you where you knew that your life was ready to be changed, where you knew that God was getting ready to do something great within you, where you knew that God was getting ready to do something in, like powerful through your life. If you don't, if you can't stand with me this morning and say, yes, I still have that passion, yes, I've actually followed through with the things that God was calling me to do, whatever it is, leading Bible study, to pray, to, to open up to somebody, to have an accountability partner, to, to reach out to a neighbor, whatever it is, to follow Jesus in baptism, to maybe give a little bit more, whatever it is. If God hasn't called you or if you haven't been impassioned enough to do that, what's holding you back? What's holding you back this morning? What's stopping you from being more passionate about the things of Christ? What's stopping you from, from realizing that grace that God had on your life? What's holding you back this morning? You see, I think if we're honest, we always go back to that B word. Not the B word, but another B word. It's just as dangerous in the Christian world. Busy. It's just busyness, man. Just busy. I'm just too busy. How many of you said that? Listen, my plate is my plate is overloaded. I just don't have the time. You see, I think if we were all honest, we'd all say that busyness is a major problem and that you don't have time to do what God's called you to do because you've got too many other things just going on. Maybe you want to do it, maybe the passion's there, but you're just not available. Listen, it's never going to slow down unless we make it slow down. It's never going to stop until we're the ones that make it stop. It's never going to slow down. Our culture is only going to increase in great activities for you to participate in. Our culture is only going to to grow in places like technology for you to find out more things that are going on out there. Your drive and your desire to get better is probably never going to change. The only thing that can change busyness is you and the choices that you make. Listen, I, I, I understand that many of us are busy doing good things, doing great things. Let me fix my mic so you can hear this. I understand that some of us, we're, we're doing great things, doing things that maybe are, are best for us. But here's the reality. I don't think that God is always honored, even whenever we're doing good things, skipping out on the best things. I don't think He's happy with that. I don't think God's going to look at us and say, at the end of our days, and you know what, brother, I know that I called you to do this, that, and the other but you know what? I know you're busy, so we're cool. I know you couldn't say no, so we're cool. Listen, our culture tells you that you are important based on what your calendar has. Our culture tells you that you are important based upon how many nights of the week you don't have free and available. 
But just like the rest of our culture, as we grow in busyness, we also grow in things like anxiety. As we grow in our culture and things like busyness, we grow in depression. Because we're passing over the best things and settling for the good things. Maybe this morning you're not as passionate about the Lord. Maybe this morning you're not pursuing the things that God has called you to do because maybe you're just not hearing from God on a regular and consistent basis. You don't know what God wants you to do because you haven't listened to Him in quite some time. And listen to me. We hear from God in His Word. We hear from God in the Bible. We Oftentimes Christians say, I'm just waiting on God to speak. I'm just waiting on a word from the Lord. Listen, God gave you a word. It's called the Bible. God has spoken. God speaks to us in places and times whenever we slow down, whenever we turn everything off and we're able to sit and listen to Him in Scripture and in prayer. Paul heard very clearly from the Lord. He says, says, I will go. Paul heard very clearly whenever God said that I'm sending, sending you out as my messenger. Now, maybe you're not supposed to be Paul, and I understand that exactly, but he's, all call, he's called us all to do different things. But any church, any church that hears from God on a regular and consistent basis, listen, it's dangerous against our enemy. And I mean dangerous in a good way. But can you imagine if we were all hearing collectively as a unit, as a group, pursuing the things that God has called us to do? We'd be dangerous. We'd be dangerous. Maybe some of us this morning are just numb to the things of God because we've drowned it out in things like social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever it is, Snapchat. We've just drowned out the things of God. We're numb to it. We can't even fathom what it might be like to hear from God because we're too busy with, with all of those things, worrying about what somebody else is going to see or think about us. Listen, I'm guilty. I just got the notification just before church. And I, I'll just be transparent with you. That notification, and I hate it, every Sunday morning where it pops up, your phone usage was up 26% this week. And I'm like, man, what does that even mean? I think I was just listening to a bunch of podcasts or something. I'll, I'll write it off. But, but be, spending too much time on our phones, spending too much time on social media allows us to not hear from God. But Paul here, changed by grace, given a ministry of grace to be sent back out. And as we're coming to a close here on the book of Acts, let me ask you this. As we think back over this whole series that started in February, as we think back on all the different people and all the different faces, all the different stories that we've heard, if God were to write a book of Acts of the believers at Creekside, if that were written, if a book were written about the believers at Creekside, the book of the Acts of the believers at Creekside, from start to finish, we, 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 start, we talked about Jesus and His Spirit, Jesus and His church, Jesus and His mission. Where would you be in this book?
If a book were written about you and your life and your story and your family, about the believers at Creekside, what would your story be? Would you be the one that was super hospitable and like opened up their home and just said, man, we're going to throw a party every Monday or Tuesday night for the, for the people in, in this church, for the people of this community, that my door is always open. If you just want to come in and have a quick word of encouragement, you need prayer, you need a cup of coffee, whatever it is, you just want to come, you can come to my house. Maybe, maybe this is you, that, that you're kind of like the behind-the-scenes player, that, that you don't want to be up on stage and you'll never get the credit, you don't ever want to be known for it, but you're going to be serving behind the scenes, serving in kids, whatever it is, you're going to be doing it faithfully. Maybe some of you have said, you know what, I don't have much talent, but God's really blessed us financially, we want to give to the mission of, of God this way. God's really blessed us here. Maybe some of you this morning have said, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of introverted and I know that and I just want to, I want to pray and I want to be that person that's constantly just praying for everybody. Praying for the men, women, and children in our church. Writing down names, writing down specific requests. We see places like that, like Priscilla and Aquila and in the early days of the church where they broke bread and they gathered together in their homes. Somebody had to do the inviting. Said, hey, y'all come on over to our house. Somebody had to bring the bread, right? Somebody had to bring the food for them to party with. But then you've got people like Paul, Saul. You've got people like James that we just saw. You've got people like Peter that you saw that are risking it all, that are out there. God has gifted us each one in totally different ways, uniquely wired us in so many different ways. Are you hearing from God and being obedient to go and do the things that He's called you to do? Are you? Because here's the tendency. I think we look at the book of Acts and we make Paul this great hero. We make him this person that we'll never measure up to. And if we try, guess what? We will never measure up to Paul. Paul had a special calling. Planted churches in so many different countries, a movement that we wouldn't even be here if it hadn't been for him. But even though Paul did all that, he still was not the hero of the story. We said it in the very beginning that the book of Acts, the book of Acts is about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moving in the lives of ordinary people like you, like me, like your kids. He moves in the lives of ordinary people just like us and he changed the world. And so the question is not, are you Paul? The question is not, what are you going to go and do this extravagant thing with your life? The question is, will you simply be obedient to what the Holy Spirit is telling you to do? To take that next step, to move in that next area, to maybe stop sinning in that one area, to give it over to God. Maybe it is to invite somebody over to your house. Maybe it is to knock on your neighbor's door. Maybe it is to, to get on your knees this morning and pray. Maybe it is to follow Jesus and be baptized. Whatever it is, we exist and we're here this morning 
so that we can help move the ball down the field of Jesus moving in your life. Let's pray. God, as we come this morning, Lord, I'm challenged as I think about the message of the gospel and how it saved me years ago. Lord, and how it was through no works of my own, but it was only through my faith in you, your grace, faith that you were alive, faith that you died on the cross for my sin, for my shame, Lord, how the good news of the cross bears all the weight of everything wrong that I've ever done and everything good that I ever have done or will do. It's your grace that empowers me to be able to stand and preach. It's your grace that empowers me to be a husband, to be a dad, to be a pastor, to be in ministry. It's your grace that empowers all of us to do anything. And so we just beg you for more of it, more grace, more grace. To see, to change, to be moved. I pray for the person that's here this morning that's wrestling with whatever it is you're calling them to do. They know it. It's been on their heart and their mind for a while now. They just haven't been obedient to it. I pray that you would encourage that person. Give them strength to know that you'll be with them every step of the way. We love you, Jesus.